0: Both males and females show up into my training room with injuries, whether it's concussion or a sprained ankle or a nagging wrist injury. When they show up in my training room with something that, like we talk about, this is not being tough. Um, you're actually being dumb. I, I use those terms. I, I don't candy coat stuff to kids. I tell them they're being dumb and they're being selfish, you know, because you want to stay in the field at 80%. You're hurting the team, and not only that, you're hurting yourself. Now you got to miss an extra week or an extra game or two extra games because you weren't tough enough. Toughness is admitting when you're wrong, admitting there's a problem. That's toughness to me. You know, staying out on the, on the soccer field uh, because your hamstring's tight is not tough. You know, now you got to miss four games because you've now you have a grade two hamstring strain instead of grade one. That's not tough. Hi, my name is Dustin Fink. I'm an athletic trainer in Central Illinois and just some dude that knows a lot about concussion. And I'm here to talk to you about that on the Heads and Tails podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you a legend in the uh, concussion education world, Dustin Fink, who is an athletic trainer at Mount Zion Public Schools in Illinois, and he's also the founder of the Concussion Blog, which is an education and communication outpost from an athletic trainer's perspective. We're recording this conversation a day after Super Bowl 52, where the Philadelphia Eagles beat the New England Patriots, uh, and also a Super Bowl where um, Brandon Cooks, a wide receiver for the Patriots, suffered a concussion. Uh, He's pretty much knocked out cold. Gronkowski is coming off his second concussion of the season, and there's some talks of uh, retirement for him after this one and uh, Patriots safety Patrick Chung appeared to come back into the game after uh, suffering what looked like a concussion, and I think he was later ruled out. So, Dustin, thanks for coming on the show, and you know, what were your thoughts on last night's game? Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I thought it was an entertaining football
0: game. Um, It's interesting that all that went down. I was at a uh, pre-Super Bowl um, poker party uh, uh, in my hometown here, with a former NFL player, and he actually had a great quote. We were talking about concussions and stuff, as we often do when we get around the group, and um, he made it known that there is no such thing as a concussion protocol in the Super Bowl. Um, And we all laughed and chuckled, but he's dead serious when talking with his friends and everybody else. Unless it was plain obvious that something went wrong, uh, anybody that suffered any kind of head injury, in his experience in the Super Bowl, was never taken out. And we saw, actually an example of both those cases yesterday so that that's kind of interesting that we're kind of touching on that
1: yeah and I, I I've started a kind of a fancy football injury report podcast I started this season and we talked about that last week with Gronkowski it's like whether Gronk had concu- concussion symptoms or not going into this game like do you really think he's not going to play like come on you know, like, right, absolutely it's, just- it's
0: the highest level they're professional they're athletes they're adults um, they're making informed decisions. The information they have about brain injuries today in 2018 is light years ahead of what they had in the year 2000. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's it's kind of obvious um, that players that may have been stung or may have been um, had a concussion that wasn't overtly obvious with signs uh, on the field, uh, they're most likely not going to report it. And even if they did, it's probably not going to be taking up the flagpole too far. Um, and uh, we saw that yesterday
1: yeah I think if if Gronk comes out next season and says that he's going to retire like due to head injuries or you know the head injuries that he suffered I think that would definitely make some headlines I just don't know like what would actually change you know like football's football but
0: right it's not going to change a whole lot um he gets beat up on every play uh everybody gets beat up on every play I mean you saw the hit that Brandon Cooks took that that is a football play um by the rules that's illegal you can't How are you going to legislate that hit out? I don't understand how I I get some people on Twitter and everybody else saying that hit needs to be outlawed. Well, why? He's a runner. That's football. That hit's always been there. The only difference between that hit yesterday and that hit in 1994 is that the human that is leveraging the hit on the other human is moving faster, is bigger and stronger, and is delivering more force. So how are you going to legislate that out?
1: Yeah. And like on that hit, like it was to me is obviously an unfortunate circumstance of playing football, but the ones that get me fired up are like the defenseless receiver ones, which we'll, we'll get, we'll get into a little later in, in the interview. So also recent update in your state, which is another thing we talked about on my fancy football podcast is uh in your state of Illinois, they proposed to ban tackle football under the age of 12. I was just curious, like what you thought about that since it kind of directly impacts the athletes that you work with on a daily basis.
0: Absolutely. And as soon as that story came out, um, I've answered this question 100 times. And I've answered the same 100 times. I am 100% a proponent of not having tackle football below the age of 14, period, end of sentence. But I am also 100% a proponent of not having the state or government tell me I can or can't do it. So both can be true. I don't think subjecting young brains to repetitive trauma to the brain and body, both uh, in a game where the purpose of the game is violence and physical harm, is necessarily a good thing from a logical standpoint. Um, So in terms of the premise of it. Yeah, I'm all for it. But as for the application, not a fan. um, I think people should get the information they need to get uh, and make the decisions they need to make. I don't judge people if they let their kids play under the age. I don't think it's smart, but I don't judge people. Everybody makes their own decisions.
1: Yeah. And it is interesting because like all the research is pointing that direction and everyone's kind of pushing the flag football before 14 um, movement, which to me, it makes sense, but it's almost like when you make the law, it's like, yeah, you're forcing people to do it, which, you know, I guess who's to say what's, who's right and who's wrong? Like, you know, you don't judge them, but the science kind of shows, like, it's probably not the best thing to be doing to a developing brain to smash your head into things, you know?
0: Right, and the discussion came up with, like, alcohol and cigarettes and tobacco. You know, we outlaw that for people under, you know, age of 21 and 18. Um, Because we know definitively 100% that if you do that, it's bad. And here's the thing. We know that if you hit your head a lot, that's not good. But we don't have definitive, rock-hard, unassailable information that has causation. We have plenty of smoke, but no fire yet. And until you have fire, I am not for any legislation.
1: Right. I like that. Uh, So what's your personal concussion history? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, um, it's definitely double digits. Uh, I'm up in the 14 range. Uh, the reason I know is because, uh, when I started my blog, uh, I started kind of using the blog as a cathartic slash resource for myself to get information about concussions and share information about concussions. But I'm also part of the, uh, Legacy Foundation brain donation program. So me too. I'm able to catalog or have been able to catalog all the incidents of concussions. And I'm at 14 now. I'm not proud, not really a badge of honor, but it's, it's interesting when you kind of start cataloging things, realize, um, you know, what was a concussion um, or it, excuse me, what is a concussion wasn't necessarily a concussion back in say 1987. Um, so it's just, it's interesting, but yeah, I'm, I'm at 14 and, um, I'm glad, I'm not glad I've had them all, but I'm glad I've had them all.
1: Because it kind of led you down a certain path. It's correct. That's
0: exactly right. And it's let me educate other people.
1: Yeah. And, you know, looking back at what I know a concussion is, because I, I suffered my second impact syndrome when I was 17 and this is back in 2007 before like people were really starting to talk about concussions and I've easily had like 20 concussions, just like Making a hit, having double vision, you know, blacking out for like a second or two, seeing mm-hmm. stars, like all of that, like that at least twenty times, uh, that's happened. So, uh, what what sports did you play, and like how did you kind of get some of these concussions?
0: Well, I grew up in Colorado, um, and my very first concussion that I was able to document happened in uh, fourth grade, uh, playing fl- playing flag slash touch football on the playground during recess. I ran a post pattern, and I literally hit a post, uh, the basketball post. And it, oh, damn. <laughs> it KO'd me, um, according to everybody. And I, I still remember, I still remember, I can't say I remember, but my mom relaying the information back to me years later. Um, my parents were never notified. Uh, they took care of me at school, let me go right back to school. Uh, the nurse took care of me for like 10, 15 minutes and sent me right back to class. Uh, that type of thing. My parents were never notified. It's crazy. But then uh, you know, growing up, I played baseball. Uh, I didn't play football till I got to high school. Um, I played basketball, although I got cut all four years from high school. I tried to play basketball. That's how I became a student <laughs> athletic trainer. And I did a lot of snow skiing uh, growing up in Colorado, and that's where uh, the majority of—well, I wouldn't say majority, but uh, a lot of my concussions came from snow skiing. Um, uh, you know, falling down, hitting your head uh, on on the on the slopes is a real danger. So. Yeah, all over the place. I got concussions from standing up and hitting my head on a cabinet. Um, Got concussions from college days, maybe drinking too much fun stuff, falling downstairs, those type of things. So uh, yeah, it's kind of all over the map for me.
1: Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you said about you know legislating people not being able to play football or banning football through legislation because you just proved that you got concussions like all over the place and you were playing flag football when you got the concussion. So I guess the difference is is like you're not lining up and like at the blow of the whistle, like hitting the person across from you in flag football. Like, yeah, you can get concussions from collisions and stuff. It's not necessarily the point of the game. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the I think the issue for me becomes the repetitive nature and exposure. So, um, as much as I like to debate people and I go talk around the country uh, about concussions and the dangers of head injury i think the thing that sticks in my craw the most about football hockey soccer rugby rodeo whatever else it's exposure and the only thing we know to prevent quote unquote prevent concussion is to limit exposure whether you're limiting exposure on a trampoline you're limiting exposures on a bicycle you're limiting exposures on a horse we can't live in a bubble but we certainly can do our best to limit exposures that could result in brain trauma.
1: Right. And yeah, like even on the slopes too. Like you have I, it's crazy the amount of people that you see, like see with two-year-olds going down the slopes and stuff like Yeah. That's that's exposure too. And you don't see people right. banning
0: it, Exactly. If we, we want people slopes. to do the normal stuff, we want people to ride bikes and play on trampolines and play in playgrounds and stuff like that. Why introduce Another vehicle for possible trauma, brain trauma, tackle football, tackle rugby, uh, full contact hockey, uh, full heading soccer. Like why introduce that stuff if we're just going to increase your exposure limit, right? We don't allow young drivers, at least in this state, to drive after a certain time at night because that increases their exposure to dangerous driving, right? So why would we do that with somebody's brain?
1: Yep, makes sense to me. So, what were some of your like greatest PCS struggles? I guess, I guess, post concussion syndrome syndrome struggles for those listening who don't know what PCS is. Um, throughout those fourteen concussions that you kind of trace back.
0: Sure, and this actually fits really well with February being um, National Mental Awareness Month. My biggest struggle was depression, without a doubt, um, and I didn't realize that's what it was until I started my blog. Um, or until just before starting my blog, I should say. It was the catalyst to me starting my blog. Um, it's not easy trying to explain to yourself why you feel the way you feel when everything else and all other signs are pointing to you feeling exactly the opposite. For example, I had a second child back in 2007 and about Eight, nine months later, great wife, great life, great job, great everything, comfortable, you know, homeowner, have to, like, everything is perfect in my life. But I'm trying to explain to myself why I feel like garbage, um, why I can't motivate myself to do anything, why I continue to look at life through foggy glasses, so to speak, like I couldn't figure it out. And I had an event that caused me to change my life. And after that event, that's when I started the blog. And that's what I was able to help with. Since then, um, the stuff that I struggle with is easily manageable. I get headaches uh, if there's too much screen time, watching too much TV. Um, if I'm, I, as an athletic trainer, I'm in loud environments a lot, that will get to me every once in a while. Um, stress, overwhelming situations. Uh, as I've gotten older, it seems that um, as an athletic trainer, your stressful situation. It seems that those can be triggers for me, but not nearly as often. Um, I used to have migraines a lot uh, in graduate school and early in my career as an athletic trainer. Now I rarely get them, but when I get them, um, they're pretty nasty.
1: Yeah, it's it's a cre- It blows my mind, like what people go through with post concussion syndrome, and. The depression aspect of it is interesting to me, too, because I was lucky in that I mean, I almost died playing football. That wasn't obviously the lucky part. The lucky part is that I survived but and that I also survived and didn't really have these PCS symptoms like headaches and sensitivity to light, noise, like memory problems. I I didn't have any of that, but I was never officially diagnosed with depression. But like just hearing you explain like how you kind of.
0: Mm -hmm. realize that
1: you were dealing with depression that's what i feel like i've been dealing with that for the last 10 years like on and off you know throughout the whole time it's like you have everything going for you and you feel like terrible yeah it's like you can't even explain it um so i I can relate to you on that one
0: yeah and it's a tough and it could be crippling at times right it's it's and and i like talking about this and people i remember when i first started talking about this on the blog. My mom ripped me. She's like, you can't talk about this stuff. That's private. You don't want anybody knowing about your mental issues. You don't want you showing your weakness. You know what, mom? You're wrong. And in this day and age, especially with the people and in the, in the people I deal with on a daily basis, adolescents, high school age kids and junior high kids that are struggling with depression maybe due to other things, not necessarily head injuries, it's tough. It's hard. It's crippling. But the thing that everybody needs to understand is you can get out of it you you can find ways to manage it i i do get sick of people saying just you can just stop thinking that way you know you can't but you can find mechanisms to cope with that way of thinking or actually do what i have done um, which is change that thinking back around again kind of flip it on itself so yes it's um it's tough and a lot of people like you or a, lot, a lot of people are like you they don't realize that maybe they have a pe- little bit of depression. And it's okay. Yeah. And it's okay. Um, yeah. and, and it'll help once you once you identify the problem, right? That's what they say about alcoholics. Once you admit you have an issue, it becomes easy. And I'm here to tell you, once I figured it out, got a lot better. A lot better.
1: So what do you mean you turned it back on itself? and right. like that's what helped you.
0: So one of my mechanisms, and, and I use this when I guide the, the high school athletes when we talk about it, is I, I'm a – fiercely competitive person. Been around athletics my entire life. Um, I use it as a challenge. So if I find myself on a Monday at 10.30 in the uh, morning sitting in my recliner drinking a cup of coffee and maybe I got on social media or maybe my wife said something to me or maybe work is demanding something to me and all of a sudden I'm starting to feel that way. I'm starting to feel, wow, this is not good. I take it as a challenge to say, all right, prove yourself wrong. No, this is not a bad thing. Get your butt up, go for a run. See, I told you depression, you can't have none of this, right? So I turn it on itself. I use it as a challenge. I know that sounds completely silly to people, but man, I can't tell you how much not giving in and being competitive and just basically shoving it back in the face of quote unquote depression, it makes me feel. It makes me feel alive when I do that. And I love it.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of an interview I did with a sports psychologist named uh, Dr. Jared Spencer. And we were kind of talking about transitional life after sports and stuff like that. And he talks, he always talks about like following the energy, like doing things that like give you energy. And I feel like that's kind of what you do. Like when you notice that you were feeling down that day when you woke up and you like take as a challenge to like kind of turn it around. Like to me, you, you like you go for a run, like that's you following the energy. For whatever reason, going for that run is gonna bring you up and kinda get you over that depression, I guess,
0: threshold. Right. And it's not always a run. It might be taking my dog for a walk, or it might be getting on PlayStation. I know I'm a forty-two-year-old dude, but I like the game. It might be getting on PlayStation and taking your some of your frustrations out on Fortnite or whatever you're playing at the at the moment. I know that sounds silly, but I use those type of mechanisms to turn the moments of doubt and the moments of gloom on its head.
1: Right. Really cool. So what other treatments have been effective in kind of alleviating some of your symptoms?
0: You know, I haven't done any formalized treatments, um, other than self-talk, uh, and basically writing, honestly, when I, I mean, the blog has been somewhat dormant for about two years. Um, I don't feel like I need that anymore, but man, when it started, I needed it and it helped a ton. Educating has been a great tool for me in terms of a treatment. Um, I know that's kind of off the books. Uh, I use ice a lot uh, when I have headaches rather than uh, pharmaceuticals, even over the counter stuff. I, I prefer to use ice um, and uh, other treatments that seem to help me. And this is, I know it sounds really holistic in nature, but eating right or eating better, um, I'm not. <laughs> I'm definitely not the picture of perfect nutrition, Um, but trying to stay as close to that as possible tends to help my symptoms too. It's really weird. It's like it's mind and body are one, so um, I like to run. I hated running until about four years ago. Um, I can't say that I like running, but I like to use it as a mechanism to help me when I'm having issues. Um, So, yeah, those are kind of what I do. I've never really done anything formal.
1: Are there any particular, like, foods that, like, set you off? Like, you know, like, those are definite triggers or just, like, in general, like? It's just in general. If I eat, like,
0: garbage for, like, three or four days straight, I will be a hot mess. And um, and, and that, that, a lot of, seriously, a lot of depression comes with that um, because I'm beating myself up over eating, like, garbage. Um, but it's nothing, there's nothing, like, I've heard of stories of people, like, they can't eat certain things because it'll set them off. I, I'm not like that at all, no.
1: So, as an athletic trainer, like, y- your guys' days are crazy long and your hours are, are insane. So, like, how do you prioritize eating healthy? Like, I feel like it's probably not always easy to eat healthy. Like, it's probably- not.
0: It takes a lot of effort. I mean, um, there's a lot of games. Like, uh, let's take tomorrow for an example um, on my schedule. Today, I also have a game, but I'm also off this morning, which is nice. But let's take tomorrow, for example. I've got to report into the hospital to start working at 8.15 tomorrow morning. Um, so I got to eat breakfast I like to eat breakfast early and then I work there until 1230 and I'll try and grab some lunch as I leave there and I got to report immediately to the high school once I'm to the high school I'm there from 1230 till the end of our basketball game tomorrow night which will probably be roughly about 930 so I have to make sure I grab something somewhat healthy before I go into work at 830 so I can bring it to school if I don't already have it there, which I don't already have it there. So that's the only way I can eat healthy. Otherwise, I'm eating candy or popcorn or hot dogs or I'm um, ordering food or having somebody grab me some fast food and that's just not the way it is. So it takes some it takes some prioritization like you're talking about. It takes good foresight. Um, yeah, and it can be a struggle with the hours at times for sure.
1: All right. I'm just sure some athletic trainers will be listening to this and so they might be able to take some notes. Um, so... I'm interested to hear what your opinion is on this one. So since you started the blog, how has concussion coverage like in the media changed over the years? Like in terms of the amount of talks surrounding concussions, the tone of that talk, you know, what what's your opinion?
0: So I got into it around two thousand nine, two thousand ten, dabbling around, doing some stuff here and there, reading Alan Schwartz of the New York Times. Um, and you know, he started with the whole Chris Nowinski story and other things. And he kind of started the, started the media onto concussion and it really wasn't paid much attention to. I think I started blogging and started maybe some of the stuff that I was doing started being caught on by like Deadspin and these other bigger things about tracking NFL concussions separate from the NFL. You know, PBS ended up starting. Pretty much took what I was doing and on for their own, good for them, um, type of thing. I think as we got through time, I think 2000, you 2012, know, 13, and 14, we started to see more inquisitive, trying to understand what concussions were all about, identifying them. I think 15, 16, and 17, and now into 18, a lot of it because we think we know, as, because we've been covering for a while, when I say we, the media, Um, we, we think we know we're, now we're in more of a critical phase. We're criticizing what's going on rather than being intuitive, um, about what's going on. There's, there's definitely these last couple of years, there's a lot more. Why didn't you take them out of the game? That's definitely a concussion. This is why they're bad. This is why X, Y, and Z. Whereas five years previous to that, it was like, was this a concussion? How could this be a concussion? You know, what are they necessary? What are they going to do going forward? So that's how it's changed over the years.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's certainly critical now. Like people are all over the NFL, including myself. Like I, I watch, you know, part of the, the weekly podcast that I do for fantasy football is like pointing out those exact type of uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how do you think the NFL has done, like, in regards to the concussion protocol um, this year? Because there's been a lot of critical uh, talk surrounding you know, how they've handled those situations. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. So the NFL, I like to say this when we talk about this, the NFL is a completely different beast than college and high school and youth football. Okay. We're dealing with adults. We're dealing with multimillionaires that have contracts. We're dealing with layers upon layers of issues at the professional level that you don't have at lower levels. You also are dealing with, number one, an adult brain as opposed to an adolescent brain. So let's use that as a disclaimer before we talk about how the NFL is handling stuff. I think the NFL, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion with a lot of people, I think the NFL, in terms of handling the actual concussions that come across their face in the games, in practice, is doing the best job possible, considering all the layers they have to deal with. Now, in terms of the PR and how they handle the injury concussion outside of their game, They are not doing that very well at all.
1: In what way? Like, what are they not doing well?
0: So, the biggest problem, in my opinion, with the NFL has been the inability of them to just rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak, in terms of concussions and head injuries. Say, football is a dangerous sport at the professional level. Head injury is a possibility. If one gets a head injury, they should not return to the game, especially at adolescent levels. This is what it looks like. These are problems that possibly could occur later in life as we're learning through education. And in the past, we goofed up and we didn't take it seriously. That's what the NFL needs to do. That's not at all what they're doing. They're continuing to skirt around the edges because what they don't want to do is admit any fault. Because if they admit any fault, now they've got a big, big a monetary issue right with the past players so that's kind of where i think the nfl could have fixed this back in 2013 at least
1: yeah and that's interesting because i think in 2013 remember all that like nfl evolution stuff and like mm-hmm. the commercials mm-hmm. with like the moms and trying to teach oh, them yeah. like oh yeah football's safe and stuff like that and, like to me like that is such a slap in the face for like anyone who has any knowledge about concussions and stuff like that it's like this is such a PR stunt. Like, right. I just couldn't take him seriously. Like,
0: like the, uh, uh, there was a tweet the other day from Olin Krutz, former Chicago Bears center, talking about football and why kids don't play football because it, they're not tough. And it's not because the game is dangerous. Well, you're wrong, Olin, on half that. You're right. The game is tough. But the game is dangerous. Like, why can't we admit that the game is dangerous? It's okay. Like, yeah. both can be true. And you know what? My son and daughter, if she wants to play, if they get to high school and they want to play football, even though it's dangerous, I will allow them to play football. Like, both can be true. It's okay. Like, we're afraid to admit, the NFL in general is afraid to admit that the game is dangerous. Like, we know now that the game is dangerous. It's not safe. I mean, <laughs> it, tell me how it's safe compared to riding a bicycle or playing soccer or playing basketball. It's not, period.
1: Yeah. Hey, you just kind gonna- of. Accept the risk and if you wanna play that play. Yeah. Just like yeah, just admit it. And yeah, they're very reactionary to like things that go on. They're never like the the leader when they could obviously easily be the leader on a lot of this stuff.
0: Right. And and let me ask you this. You're you played, you love the sport, you're a viewer, you're invested, fantasy, everything else wise. Are you gonna turn your back or are you more likely to turn your back on an NFL that continues to give you false information that turns out to be false year after year after year after year? Or are you more likely to turn your back on an NFL that says, you know what, this is dangerous, this is how it's going to be, deal with it. Like, which one are you, you're more likely, most likely, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but the person in general is more likely going to side with the, the, you keep lying to me over and over, I'm going to quit you, I'm done with you.
1: Yeah, have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? No, I have not. He's like a Navy SEAL and he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership. And basically, it's all about like, if you want to be a good leader, like you need to like own up to your mistakes and own up to like the situation at hand. And to me, that's exactly what you just explained. Like if you just own it and say like, yeah, it's a dangerous sport, it's this and that, where we do everything we can to make it as safe as possible. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it is what it is. Um, I think people would respect that a lot more as opposed to like, those NFL evolution commercials and
0: I guarantee I I can guarantee you if the NFL did that starting tomorrow their viewership would go up I guarantee I will guarantee you if the NFL did that starting tomorrow their viewership would increase
1: yeah I I agree and we we talk about this me and my co-host of that particular aspect of the podcast um talk about how It's kind of become popular opinion to think that football is dangerous, like at least in the Twitter world. And you you kind of alluded to that how the tone has shifted from it was that a concussion to you know a critical eye of like they're not doing what they should be doing to protect the players. Um, So it's yeah, it's it's interesting. They need to they need to own up, I think. Yeah. Um, So how has the mindset of your athletes that you work with surrounding concussions evolved over? time the time of writing your blog and up to up through today. Oh man,
0: it's changed considerably. I mean, I started as a in-the-field athletic trainer in two thousand and how much it's changed, not only education wise, we've seen that. That's easily documented. What's not easily documented is how it's changed in the mind of the actual adolescent athletes. And I think we're now just starting to see the children of the kids from around that time of 2000 when I started. In education, so we're still we're not quite to the generation that has the overall best education that we can possibly provide them. That's basically my kids' ages, which are getting close to high school. Um, But you can see how kids are handling it completely different. It is no longer a stigma. Like definitely with the female population and female athletes, if there is any question whatsoever, they are coming to me with questions. I rarely see a female athlete try and hide symptoms like they used to. Boys, on the other hand, they still hide, but now what's interesting is their peers are telling on them quietly, coming to my training room or grabbing me in the hallway. Hey, hey, Fink, uh, so-and-so was complaining about a fierce headache the other day. Uh, So-and-so, we were out at the mall and he was struggling with the light. He didn't want, you know, he doesn't want anybody to know. Hey, think, you know, we're seeing, and that to me means that education is working because people understand we need to get it taken care of and taken care of right the first way, and then we can continue to do what we want to do, right? If we hide it, and kids understand this now, if we hide it and we play with it or we play through it, you're probably going to be out longer and it's going to put you at more risk going going forward. Whereas if you admit it, like we just talked about it, if you admit it, and know that you got a problem and handle it first time right then and there and nip it in the bud you're probably going to be better off going forward.
1: Yeah, that's it's awesome that you say that because I think back to my own injury and is you know obviously second impact syndrome is because I had symptoms didn't tell anyone got hit again and you know everyone knows the story What's in episode 1 if you want to hear the whole story of that one. Everybody should but, listen to uh, that by the way. Yeah, so go going into that game, I remember telling my buddy, I used to drive him home from practice. uh, Mike Burton, he plays for the Chicago Bears now. He's a fullback. That my head was killing me, you know, all week. I was, I was was telling him that, and I mean, I'm not calling out Mike right now, like Mm -hmm. saying like you're the reason why I I couldn't play football, Um, because it was 2007. Like we didn't know better. We didn't have concussion talks in the beginning of the season. Like we just didn't know. And the day of the game that I suffered from second impact syndrome, uh, I literally told my friends when we were walking around the track before gym class that I was going to die that night because my head was hurting me so bad. So, like, you know, I feel like today had that had I said those same things, it might have been different, like based off of what you just said.
0: It would have been different. Kids would have said something. Somebody would have spoke up.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's I love I love hearing that. Um, so, what are some of the obstacles that still exist, you know, in the diagnosis and treatment of concussions in, in today's world?
0: This is also an unpopular opinion amongst people, especially on the Twitterverse and the, the, those that, even doctors that don't quite understand concussion fully. Concussion is most likely 100% a subjective injury, meaning me as a clinician, as an athletic trainer. Unless I see you wobble or knocked out, I am relying upon you, the injured, to tell me there's something wrong because I can't see it and it's difficult. And not only that, once you tell me you're hurt, I am completely at your will to explain how bad it is. Now, once we start the evaluation process, I feel like the way I evaluate concussions and the way a lot of people that train me evaluate concussions, I feel like I can ferret out a concussion uh, doing, uh, using the techniques that I use, including uh, what's called a modified version of VOMS, using BESS, um, and then using some other uh, clinical techniques. I feel like I can get you there, but if you don't say anything to me, I can't help you. So that is the biggest barrier to dealing with concussions, period.
1: Yeah, and like we, we talked about some of the concussions from the Super Bowl, but like who knows how there could have been like five or six other concussions that we never even saw because you know they just didn't expre- exhibit the same type of symptoms.
0: Correct. Think about think about think about um, the stats. So they say that being knocked unconscious in terms of of a concussion happens in about ten percent of the issue of the actual injury, right? So if Brandon cooks is 10% of the uh, concussion injuries, we can think that there were probably 10 on that football field, right? I mean, I know that's kind of extrapolating stats that don't need to be extrapolated, but that's a sensational way of showing that in a football game, a lot happens, but people aren't telling you exactly what's going on.
1: Right. And that kind of is a good segue into my next question, and we kind of touched on this before, but like, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you do a preseason concussion talk with your athletes. So I'm curious, like, what that concussion talk consists of and, like, how has that evolved over time?
0: Right. So it used to be you never talked about it. Like, even when we were starting to understand, when I started blogging and started to become this, quote, unquote, um, expert in the area, it was a hush-hush. We don't talk about it. It's evolved to where we were talking about it and now there's not necessarily talk anymore in our state and our school policy actually <clears throat> parents and kids have to read and sign a um, concussion information fact sheet like you can't register without doing it now are they, are they actually reading and signing it i mean they're they're signing it but are they actually reading and digesting all that information no they're not probably 100% but at least it gives you an open window of what's going on my concussion talks mainly occur when i'm preseason baseline testing athletes now i will say this i will this has been on my blog many a times and research now out of berlin in 2016 um, 17 16 with the latest concussion uh, consensus meetup says that baseline testing is not only not reliable um but it's Uh, a waste of time and energy, well, I kind of disagree with that because that's where I get my concussion talks in with kids. It's able to sit down with them and they can see for themselves what signs and symptoms are, what what part of the brains we're testing. Now, that's where the value of the baseline testing is for me. But that's where the concussion talk comes in. So yeah, it's evolved quite a bit. We didn't know about it, knowing about it, not talking about it, knowing about it, talking about it. Now we're streamlined to the point where you read and sign a piece of paper and you're done.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting how you said, like, when you do the baseline impact, it's almost like a one-on-one education session for you and the athlete. Correct. Um, yeah, it's 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 a more of a, a focused approach. Uh, so, do you ever talk about like toughness with the athletes, and especially like we talked about how your male athletes don't always say, you know, that they're hurt, and I this is something I talk about all the time because I feel like most athletes do that and that's been my demise for the longest time is I just like don't know when to freaking tap out. Right. Uh, so I'm just curious, like, do you ever talk about ideas of toughness and masculinity like to some of these, uh, athletes? Uh,
0: yeah. Um, I don't do it in like a group setting or like preseason meeting with the athletes. Um, it usually, that talk usually occurs when both males and females Show up into my training room with injuries, whether it's concussion or a sprained ankle or a nagging wrist injury. Um, when they show up in my training room with something that, like we talk about, this is not being tough. Um, you're actually being dumb. I, I use those terms. I, I don't candy coat stuff to kids. I tell them they're being dumb and they're being selfish, you know, because you want to stay on the field at 80% you're hurting the team and not only that you're hurting yourself now you got to miss an extra week or an extra game or two extra games because you weren't tough enough toughness is admitting when you're wrong admitting there's a problem that's toughness to me you know staying out on the on the soccer field uh because your hamstrings tight is not tough you know now you got to miss four games because you've now stri- you have a grade 2 hamstring strain instead of grade 1 that's not toughness so a lot of people don't realize that
1: yeah, and it took me forever to realize that as well because I was in that mindset when I was 17 and when I go to do talks around you know local locally to high schools, I always say that before my concussion, my first concussion, I had a separated shoulder and I so I obviously stopped using that shoulder and started hitting with my other shoulder until I hurt that one and then I had nothing else to hit with but my head. And the whole time it was because like I was too afraid to say that I was hurt and I just it's easier to just survive out there at eighty percent or seventy-five percent or whatever than it would be to just say like, "Hey, like I need to sit this game out so I could come back and be a hundred percent next game."
0: Right. Like, like kids um, don't realize. Like, I, I use it all the time, um, all the time with all my kids. Would you rather miss a game uh, early in the se- one game early in the season, or would you la- like to miss the last six games of the season, including the postseason, because you're letting this linger on, like, like until they grasp that themselves? they don't understand.
1: Yep. And unfortunately I learned the hard way and hopefully by someone listening to this, they'll, they'll learn from, from my mistakes. Uh, so how are coaches involved in kind of the preseason concussion, I guess, discussion?
0: Um, I know our football coaches over the years here, as well as other, uh, coaches do a tremendous job of making sure that they let their athletes know that if they have any issues with concussion, they come see me. Um, I've been blessed uh, with a coaching staff that completely trusts what I do. They understand I'm not out there looking for concussions and quizzing everybody as they come off the field. Um, you know, whether it's football or basketball or anything like that. Like, if you fall down in basketball and fall hard, and I'm not immediately going to go run over to you and concussion test you. you know, I, I I'm fair, and and I think that helps a lot because. I have the trust of my coaches, my administration, and my kids, and if I don't have that trust, if I'm immediately going to yank you or immediately going to do stuff, like, kids aren't going to talk to me. They're never going to talk to me. So um, The coaches help in instilling the trust factor uh, with their athletic trainer, which is me.
1: All right, cool. Uh- So, how do you kind of handle the psychological and emotional sting of sitting out for concussions or other injuries like we just kind of recommended uh, athletes do, you know, early on in the season and and stuff like that?
0: Sure. So, like, it's all, I don't know how it was in high school when you uh, were in school, which is a lot more recent than when I was in school. And even when I started athletic training and, you know, around the time you were in school or a little bit before, when kids were injured, they they ne- didn't necessarily come to practice because they didn't feel like they had to or didn't be around it. So the way I combat the um, possible feelings of worthlessness or, or not being tough or not being around, I, I mandate without saying, like I tell parents, get, don't get uh, physical therapy appointments or don't get doctor's appointments during practices your son or daughter is still coming to practice. Like you're going to still be part of a team because I think a lot of times what happens and a lot of times why people are scared to talk is they're afraid to lose that camaraderie. So I, if somebody rolls an ankle, um, they go to practice, they may stand there and shoot free throws or they may hold uh, the shot clock or something for the coach, but they are still part of the team, right? Like we make them do that. And if you have a concussion as long as, like, the light and sound isn't bothering you and you can get through the school day, you know, you know, student athlete first, If you, as long as you get the student portion done, you can still come to practice and you can still be part of the team. Maybe you're going to walk around and shag balls or maybe, you know, you're not going to hopefully get in a situation where you get hit again, but you're still going to be part of the team.
1: Yeah, and I was – as you were saying that, I was like, sometimes I, I think that having it in your face all the time, like if you're out for the season or something and – you you know, you're going to practice and you're like serving as like the team manager. Like that's sometimes like is, is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. But if you think of the alternative of like just going home after school and like sitting in your room, like what what would you rather do? Like I would definitely pick the serving as this the team manager. Well for you gotta sure. think
0: about this Kevin, it's not only a tough pill to swallow, but it's the right pill to swallow. Because what's going to happen the rest of your life you're always going to be faced with adversity. you're always going to be faced the rest of your life, no matter how great it is, you're always going to be faced with disappointment and situations where you didn't want it it's going away you didn't want it to go. It's how you respond to that adversity is the person you become. And so not only am I trying to help the kids recover, but I'm helping them try to understand that this is how it is the rest of the, it's going to be the rest of their life. When your son or daughter when you're 35 years old, your son and daughter is going to, get a, a referral from the, from the principal at their elementary school. How do you handle that? Like, do you run away from it? No, you, you got a tough pill to swallow. My kid made a mistake. How are we going to handle it? How are we going to go forward? So yeah, um, maybe I'm a little bit uh, egotistical and maybe I'm a little bit more Pollyannish, but I also think it's teaching life lessons along the way.
1: No, I think that's a great point. Um, it, you know, in your experience as an athletic trainer, you know, maybe even concussions aside, like what's the number one thing that you see that leads to injury? Is it like a lack of physical preparation? Is it pushing, you know, through minor injuries? Is it a mindset? You know, what what do you see that typically gets athletes injured?
0: This is a great question. Um, this has changed all the time in my mind, um, but I'm kind of getting more set in my thought process about this, and, and I think it's improper recovery um, might be the number one reason kids get injured. Um, that can be a lack of sleep, that can be overtraining, that can be sports specialization, that can be a lot of things, but more and more research, as well as more and more my observation, as well as my gut feeling, Kids are getting hurt when they're not recovered. Um, The toughness factor, right, It's exactly the same thing. If you are not properly recovered from a previous injury or an issue, it's going to lead to different things. Uh, If you're a basketball player and you've fallen on the floor 14 times in the game on Friday night and you have a hip pointer and you want to go back out and start playing full-level basketball on Tuesday without any treatment because you're tough, guess what? Now you're going to roll your ankle on your right side. Now you're going to hurt your knee or your back's going to be flared up so improper recovery is by far in my opinion the reason kids are injured the most
1: how do you think like we can combat that like i mean there's so much stuff like with yoga and cryotherapy and this treatment and that treatment to like recover and you know meditation like stuff like that like you know do you think that a 16 17 year old kid like would be able to do that kind of stuff, like yes. I, I just, yeah, right?
0: No, they're not. You're right. They're, they they won't. Um, I think the best way is to try to educate them. Uh, same thing with concussions in terms of recovery. It's a mechanical process, and it takes time. Um, you know, the body needs to recover. You've inflamed the body uh, by doing weightlifting or doing anything like that. Um, you need to recover. Um, and part of recovery is is being proactive. Um, so, you know, that even goes to like weightlifting or ACL prevention programs or, um, conditioning programs. Like that's all part of proper recovery. Um, and, and not overdoing it and making sure that they understand that's the way to do it. You know, like, like you said, though, kids want shortcuts. They come to the office, say, Hey, can I get some stem and ice for, uh, my leg? Well, what's wrong? Well, nothing really. I just want to recover. Like, well, why are you asking for it? Right? So it's, it's, it's that type of stuff. It's just getting them to understand it's okay to take a break. Like my favorite, they turn into laughing fest in the training room, but my favorite people to deal with when it comes to stuff like this are my distance runners. Uh, when they come up with a nagging hamstring or a quad and I say, well, you guys are good, You can't run for three days. Like, it's like somebody shot their dog when you tell them that and they bargain and it's hilarious. And, or they say, or you say they need to rest for three days. Well, instead of running 17 miles in those three days, they ran 12 and they consider that rest. Right. So yeah. it's it's trying to understand each individual athlete, trying to get them to <clears throat> accept that it's okay to take a break. Uh, they're not going to lose uh, everything that they get. And if you get proper recovery, we can prevent injuries. And unfortunately, kids at that age, 16, 17, 18, they don't realize it until they've gone through it down the wrong path, right? They don't <laughs> – that cross-country runner doesn't realize what I'm saying – until his senior year, when he's battled through injury and hasn't been able to complete a season his sophomore and junior year, right? So, unfortunately, they have to learn the hard way.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is that. Uh, a little side note like I was on away at a bachelor party this past weekend, and a bunch of the guys are like really into CrossFit, and they have, and I used to be until I destroyed my knee because the same mindset was still present with like not knowing when to stop. Mm -hmm. It was like when, when enough is enough. So I eventually hurt my knee to a point where I can't really do a lot of the CrossFit stuff, but either way they had this, this like watch called like a whoop or something or something like that. And it like tracks the recovery, their resting heart rate, their heart rate variability and like has like a little percentage, like on their phones that show them like, how recovered they are and like maybe they should take a rest day like based off of these parameters. And I mean, obviously that's not like something in like a high school kid could have access to, but some probably could. And I just feel like it's a visual way to show like, Hey, like, you know, you're not okay. And especially with young kids who are constantly on their phones anyway, Mm -hmm. it'd be a good,
0: uh, well, there's more, there's more stuff like that coming out, you know, with the, uh, well the the big one that most high schools can't afford is the catapult system, right? It's the analytical, it's the accelerometers that like you see soccer players wearing and, and college basketball players wearing that and you know the Philadelphia Eagles and Chip Kelly when Chip Kelly was with the Eagles were big time known for this. They they did all that stuff. They had all the parameters and they were able to say you need a day off, you don't need a day off. Like you can't have that. That's unaffordable for high school. But they're coming out with better ones. There's there's new companies coming out all the time with these types of um, effort, with lack of better word, monitors to see how you can shut kids down when you
1: need to. Yeah. Do you know about any of the research on that stuff? Or like,
0: like I'm not I'm not big time research nerd on that stuff. I just skim through it and actually use my other resources to kind of fill me in on what's going on with with the uh, rest, but the work to rest ratio. But basically. Uh, as I gather it with most of that catapult stuff, especially with uh, European soccer, um, they use it to modify their practices, and it can actually detect injuries is what I'm, I've read. So that's uh, – or, or, or not detect injuries, but detect situations that could lead to injury. Um, so right. that, that's pretty – that's interesting stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, I have to – I'll link some of that information up in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Uh so, are there any other sports where, like, besides football, where athletes are kind of unnecessarily exposed to situations that could lead to injury, like men's or women's sports? Right. Uh, I'm just thinking, like, lacrosse, mm-hmm. like women's lacrosse, and helmets and you know, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Don't get me started on that rant. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> why, why they don't mandatory have mandatory have helmets just makes me ill. Um, but yeah, you're talking if 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 the point of the sport is to physically harm your opponent in order to score gain an advantage or not allow them to score or stop them from gaining an advantage. If that's the principal point of the game or if there are rules in the game that allow that to occur at a high rate, it's probably a very risky sport. So collision sport. So like Football is not a contact sport. Basketball is a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. Hockey is a collision sport. Rodeo is a collision sport. I say rodeo because there's a lot of people that you know do rodeo, uh, especially out west and down south. Uh, lacrosse is a collision sport. Rugby is a collision sport. Those are probably most likely the greatest risk of Injury period. Um, people talk about concussion rates, and I like using these numbers. At least the, the last I read of them, I think, was 2014, 15. Uh, the NCAA is working on new updated stats, but the number one, like, sport for concussion per athlete, basically, or per exposure, it was women's hockey. And it's because there's not a lot of people that, not a lot of women that play hockey at the NCAA level, and women are really good at telling you when you have concussion. So, of course, you're going to the highest rate. But football is number one overall uh, when it comes to when you kind of balance out for the numbers and everything else.
1: Yeah, I've actually had a ton of female uh, hockey players on the podcast talk about their struggles with PCS and and stuff like that. Uh, is that a common thing that you see in in your training room? Is a lot of athletes who suffer uh, concussions that they have lasting effects, or is it something that kind of clears up after a couple of weeks? I tell you what,
0: knock on wood. Um, I've had maybe over my last, since I started getting into the recovery and being you know really into this, you know, the whole understanding concussions, I've only had a handful of, of kids that maybe are still struggling with any types of PCS. I really feel like the way we're handling concussions nowadays, I think that's a lot less likely that you're going to have issues down the road. Um, I think before that, though, uh, if I were to go back and look up all my athletes from 2000 to 2009, um, I bet you I would find more than a handful uh, that are unfortunately probably dealing with um, lingering issues.
1: I mean, is that surprising to you or? No,
0: because the way we handle things is completely different. Um, I think in understanding them and the resources available and um, whatnot, I think it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Uh, I'd like it to be a zero number but that will never occur um and i think uh, we're doing the best we can
1: uh is there anything that like still surprises you today about concussions like this is there, like does an athlete present with something that you're like wow i've never seen that before or...
0: um i haven't nothing surprises me in terms of pre- presentation of concussion i've had crazy presentation like i had one I had one kid that suddenly went from being a, a DF student to being an AB student and it threw everybody for a loop, like threw everybody for a loop. Like that happened. It was the craziest thing ever. Um, it's
1: the best thing that ever happened to him.
0: Absolutely them. <laughs> it was. Um, I, I, I've seen kids hysterically laughing. Um, I've seen kids that were introverts become um, extroverts. I've seen extro, extroverts become introverts, which is way more common than the other way around. Um but change of behavior, it, nothing really surprises me anymore. I think what surprises me more than anything nowadays is the willingness of the student-athlete to actually admit there's issues further down the road of recovery. So when we started this whole return to play uh, paradigm we're in now, Oftentimes, kids would say they felt good day five, day six. You know, returning them day eight because we've always kind of been like, at least around here, it's always been an eight-day injury on purpose because we don't want kids. It's because of football we don't want kids rushing back to play one week later. We've kind of that kind of gotten grained around this area, at least that way. So everybody is comfortable with that, and we've known it's yeah. been always been longer. But now I'm seeing way more kids willing. On day seven to say, hey, man, I ain't right, had a bad headache in class today, or I was lifting weights today, and I got dizzy out of nowhere, and it wasn't because I wasn't eating right, or it wasn't because of anything else like this, it's, I have an issue, it's, it's, it's flared back up. So I'm way more surprised at the candidness of our athletes nowadays, and that says a lot to our education.
1: You think it? You think it is the education, or is it like a fear, or a combination of the two? Like a fear of the unknown, of what might happen if they do play with a concussion? No,
0: I don't think that's fear. Especially in this area, I don't think that fear is is predominant here. I'm I'm sure there is some fear there, um, but I think when you're talking, especially even boys and girls at that age, they don't they don't think about that. They, you talked about it earlier. How do you get a 16, 17 year old to think, grasp about sitting out a game? They don't think about that type of fear at all. Parents maybe a little bit, but kids know. So that's why it's so surprising that I get athletes um, that, you know, even like on the eve of game and they've been through the state return to play protocol and they're getting ready to get cleared, they say, "Nah, right, I can't go. Like that to me means a lot to me. Um, and it's surprising to me as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of trust in you as well. I think so you know? too. And I have a funny story about my uh, – issue with second impact syndrome because i had the really bad headaches going into that second game and i was my mom was away she was on a business trip and she's the only person that i told that i had a headache or really bad headache because i knew that she was far away enough that she couldn't keep me from playing and she's like well why don't you go see uh suzanne who was my athletic trainer and you know maybe you have a concussion or something she's like i read this People Magazine article about this kid, not People Magazine, whatever magazine it was, uh, about this kid who played with a concussion and he died from something called second impact syndrome. And I was like, no, I think I'm fine. I think I have a sinus infection or something. So I never went and got it checked. I'm like, and that's exactly what happened to me. That's crazy. That is crazy. uh, So do you think that there's like certain personality types that are more prone to injury slash concussion? And I asked that because I feel like I was the kind of guy who would who loved contact, who loved being that, like, it was all ego driven. Like Mm I, I like loved the feeling of like running someone over and stuff like that. And I feel like my body has paid for that. Mm -hmm. So do you find that to be true with, you know, the athletes that you work with?
0: Well, the more aggressive athletes are always going to be predisposed to concussions and other injuries because they're more aggressive and they're going to put themselves in more exposures because that's just the nature of who they are. Uh, But I'll tell you this, passive athletes, also have a high risk of injury as well because if they're deferring to the aggressor or they're deferring to the neutral, um, when you back down, you have a chance for injury. Like We always talk about clearing athletes from an ankle sprain or a knee sprain or a back issue or a hamstring issue. If you're not mentally capable of going 100%, I can't put you back in, even if your body is telling me it's 100%. Because if you go in it with any doubts, you're going to get yourself hurt. Um, and that's, that's the same for a concussion or anything else. The, the more aggressive, the more, the more chance of injury, period, just because that's who they are. Um, and, and is that a bad thing? No, not necessarily, but you know, there's high risk, high reward, and that's life too. So, um, yeah, that, that definitely somebody like you is somebody that I enjoy having on my sidelines, but I also hate having on the sidelines because you guys are also a pain in my butt when it does, when it is time for you to be hurt. You don't want to be hurt.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, a great point that you made. It's like, you know, I've had some other former NFL guys come on the podcast. I asked them like, what's your, you know, tips for career longevity. And a lot of them say, or like avoiding injury. A lot of them say like, just going hundred percent. Like if you're not flying around out there, like you're going to get hurt. Like you have to, be going 100% but I think the the difference is is flying around at hundred but also having like the awareness like the self-awareness to know like when something's off right and to know when you need to, to sit out for even if it's a play like absolutely uh, all right so as we kind of you know wind down on the uh, interview here, you know, is there like, what's still unknown about concussions and what's on the horizon for kind of in the, the research world uh, in regard to concussion? Sure.
0: So, the the major unknown is we don't know the long-term effects of concussion. Um, we don't know the long-term effects. If you have a, if had X amount of concussions, what does it mean? Um, if you were knocked out, what does it mean? Um, I mean, there's a, we, we still don't know. And will we ever know? Yeah, we'll know and like 25, 30 years, because really the research just started like 8, 10 years ago um, in earnest on this stuff. So, yeah, we'll eventually know. um, But that's the major unknown is we don't know the longevity issues. Um, In terms of what's coming down the pipe, in terms of uh, new things in the concussion realm, um, I think uh, you're going to see a lot more information on and you're starting to see it now on actual concussion recovery processes so therapy for concussion has kind of been there it's been like throwing uh noodles on the wall and to see what sticks um in a very uh safe for work term (laughs) um yeah and some of it's working and some of it's not um you know the research now is telling us that uh taking kids and getting them into some form of act, physical activity after concussion is actually beneficial. Um, whereas for years, the past few years, we thought, well, we can't get you back until you're symptom-free or we can only walk you. We can't do much. I mean, that's always changing. So the way we handle recovery from concussion is going to be changing. I think what's going to be shocking to a lot of people um, and also an unpopular opinion to the concussion world, um, which is where I've made a lot of my... <laughs> quote-unquote fans in the uh, blog and Twitter world the unpopular opinion is they're gonna find out that this is a spontaneously recovering type injury Um, and we just have to find a way to facilitate the spontaneous recovery of the injury Um, there's not gonna be much way of interventions that's going to help this heal any quicker or make you any better any faster and people need to understand that everybody's brain is unique, so my concussion will recover different from your concussion.
1: Interesting. Is there anything that we know for certain right now about concussions? They're not good <laughs> uh, uh, in general. <laughs> Hitting your head's not good. Um, yeah. I think when you
0: disrupt the normal function of your brain, it's probably not a good thing. Um, and I'm probably going out on a limb on that one. Uh, it's, <laughs> You know, micro trauma, macro trauma to the brain, uh, an organ in your body that pretty much controls everything you do and does not heal itself. Logic would tell you, not the greatest thing in the world. But I think um, we also know for a fact that having a concu- having a concussion, having two concussions, or having even three concussions, just concussions, not second impact syndrome, not PCS, not any of that stuff. But three isolated concussions or four or whatever number you want to give isn't the end of playing days, isn't the end of your brain function. We understand completely that isolated issues are just that, isolated issues.
1: Yeah, I, I, interesting. I, I agree with that. Um, I, I just thought of this other question that I was curious what yeah. your opinion is on it it's in regard to CTE and it's something that's come up a couple of times on the podcast. And it's really more so my opinion. I'm just curious to think what you think. Uh, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from CTE or that it's a real thing or that's the debilitating brain injury. But a lot of, I think the depression kind of comes from the athlete identity of like, you know, these guys play in the NFL for, you know, however long and they were, Stars and people knew who they were, and then they go from that to being, I guess, like just like regular people again. I feel like that has almost as much to do with it as opposed to, you know, the brain disease that uh, of CTE. Right. It's do you do you think that that's like a possibility? I'm just saying that because like no,
0: you're you're not you're no more inaccurate as they are as accurate. By they, I mean the big time CTE proponents of you know. Ann McKee love her. I've met her. Um, she probably couldn't pick me out of a lineup. Uh, Chris Nowinski, who I consider a friend, um, you know those those guys all. You know the the about the information they give us about CT, which is very valuable. That's just as accurate as you saying what you just said. Um, I think could it? Why why can't both be true? Like again, football is dangerous under fourteen. In my opinion, I don't think anybody should play it under fourteen. But I also think the state shouldn't mandate it. Right from your very first question. Why can't both be true here? Why can't CTE be a degenerative brain injury that is possibly linked to depression and horrible outcomes? But also true is that maybe the personalities and the people that you're dealing with plus the lifestyle change, maybe that starts it or maybe that's maybe that's the actual chicken and not the egg. And maybe because you have the disease, it makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? Like why can't both be true and why can't we address – all of it. Why do we have to try to address just one of it? Um, you know, I think what Chris and them have done, and I think the CTE debate is wonderful to have as long as you're logical about it. Um, you know, what people don't understand is yeah, they found all these people with CTE, and, you know, people keep saying over and over again, well, they didn't, they haven't tested the general population. They have tested the general population. That's like what the brain bank began with, where Alzheimer's patients and everything else. So they've seen all the regular brains. Um, and then when they get the you know, the athletic brains, you're seeing this stuff. So um, it's there. There's something there. And like I said earlier, there's plenty of smoke. Uh, we just can't find the causation fire yet. Um, and taking a leap is not so much a leap of faith. I think there's, it's an educated leap, and I don't think they're wrong for taking it. I just think we need to be careful about uh, linking everything to everything.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, thanks for sharing your opinion on that one. Sure. And uh, last question, because uh, we already answered my definition of toughness question, which I usually end with. Um, where can people find you on social media and kind of follow the the latest and greatest in concussion in concussion research? Sure.
0: So um, I'm mainly on Twitter because I always thought 140 or less was better. Now it's 280, so that's kind of dangerous for me. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter at concussion blog. Um, join in the conversation, call me an idiot. I love it. Um, you know, debate with me, be cordial. I'm cool with it. Um, uh, I try and you know respond and react to whomever I can, but that's where I link most of my stuff. Um, I don't foresee when I'm going to get back to the blog. Um, anytime soon, that takes a little bit much of my time. I got three kids now, plus I'm an athletic trainer. Uh, my kids are now in all sorts of sports and activities. Um, Uh, I, I think there was a stretch just this past, uh, December, January, outside of Christmas and new years. I think it was at the high school between my job and then my kids playing basketball. I think I was there like, uh, we counted like 36 of 41 days straight. So it was nice. So I'm a little, I'm a little bit busy to be blogging. Um, but, uh,
1: whatever kind of
0: hankering I get to, I'll get to on the blog or on the, on Twitter. So go ahead and check that out.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, Dustin. And I I really appreciate you creating the concussion blog. And I was a religious uh, reader, you know, while you were posting, you know, from the get-go. And I remember I was, like, refreshing the feed when you were, like, a few days late. I'm like, why? He hasn't posted in a week. I'm like, what the hell, dude? I know. It's like,
0: hey, the information there, I still still think it's really, really valuable. It's withstood the test of time. Um, Even my earliest hot takes, as they call them, even my earliest – thoughts on on things um has withstood the test of time over the last five or six years so um i still encourage your listeners if they get a chance to go ahead and check it out that's theconcussionblog.com and um you know uh, i uh, maybe one day i'll get back to it
1: yeah and i think yeah i'll link all that up in the show notes and and thanks dustin and i i used a lot of those resources like in my papers in college and grad school and stuff like that so that's awesome yeah i can't thank you enough that makes man. me feel thanks. good
0: thanks